Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Welcome to the Australian Investors Podcast. In this episode, I'm joined once again by Emmanuel Datt from Datt Capital. I think this is Emmanuel's third time on the show, which means that he's the only guest that has ever done that, which is fantastic. And in this episode, what we're talking about is one of Emmanuel's favorite small cap shares. Um, this is a kind of company that I've been following for a few years. It's got a market cap below $100 million, so it is one of those really small cap companies on the ASX. But before we get to that, Emmanuel and I talk about, I guess, an update on the the current environment and COVID and, and the rebound that we've seen in some parts of the market so far. But then Emmanuel walks us through his process for finding growth companies. And particularly, I'm talking about companies that are tech companies or companies that have high returns on invested capital and reach that inflection point, or as Emmanuel would call it, a seasoning. This episode, we talk about a few small cap shares. As always, just remember that Emmanuel or myself may have a financial interest in any of the companies mentioned, and investing can be risky. So take our research and then go away and do your own, please. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. Emmanuel, thanks for joining me on the show again, mate. Yeah, thanks for having us, Owen. It's always a pleasure. This is uh, part two of three of of our stock pitch. Uh, episodes and you've been gracious enough to come back a second time. The first time was was a was an interesting discussion. We talked about uh, kind of being in the midst of a coronavirus, I guess, market downturn, and and now a month later we've seen a pretty vicious snapback in certain sectors and with certain companies, which we'll get to throughout the conversation. So, um, Manuel, I, th- I thought a really good way for th- to just introduce yourself would be to just explain kind of. What the business that you've started, the fund that you run, and then maybe we'll jump into uh, the different sectors, what we've seen so far over the past month and, and this month. And then I guess that will give us a good base to then talk about some stocks. Yeah, sure, Owen. So um, that capital run an absolute return fund. Uh, our main point of differentiation is that we uh, invest across multiple asset classes and that sort of that allows us to uh, express what we're seeing uh, yeah, in broader society uh, mm-hmm. in, in the broadest number of ways. Um, we, we are uh, an all-cap fund, so we can invest in uh, both large-cap, medium-cap, small-cap, all, all across um, the market spectrum. Uh, and, um, yeah, we've, we've been quite successful uh, in all sorts of companies, you know, from growth to opportunities uh, to mean reversion plays, uh, we do the whole lot uh, at our firm, mm. and that seems to have um, uh, let us perform. Uh, that's led us to some quite good outperformance versus the broader equity market. Yeah, it's kind of this go anywhere approach, not only in the in in terms of market cap spectrum from you know very small companies, and we've got a really small company we'll talk about today, but also then you can 
go right up to you know your your household names like your challenges and, and what have you um I think that places you well for a conversation about, you know, what we've seen right across the market cap spectrum. I know there's some stuff that you want to talk about with regards to the sectors that are of real interest to you, but maybe if I could just go back a bit and just ask you about how your fund has performed being absolute return. I guess this is a pretty exciting time for you, or at least that's what um, I've kind of gleaned from reading your latest fund reports. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I suppose, uh, you know, given the situation uh, being experienced by uh, the whole world at this point in time, uh, you know, March was uh, a very difficult month for equity markets as a whole. Uh, locally, the ASX total return index uh, dropped 21%. Mm. Uh, the fund itself uh, fell only about 13.5% uh, in comparison. And then, of course, this was followed up uh, in April with a um, quite a big whip back, um, you know, with the uh, total return index uh, performance being positive eight percent. Mm. And uh, we've just finalised our our April um, unit price, and we've actually achieved a twelve percent return uh, in April itself. So it's quite. Uh, we think it's a it's a pretty good effort uh, on on the part mm. of our team to have outperformed both uh, by negating the downside, uh, but capturing more than the index uh, on the way up as well. So mm. uh, we've outperformed both on the downside and upside, which is a really good effort from from the team here. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's the stripes that you earn as an absolute return fund. And, and that's kind of a, your position in a portfolio, in a diversified portfolio. That's where you, you want a diversified I mean, sorry, an absolute return fund to kick in um, and use that and really take advantage of that go anywhere approach. Um, I know from talking to you off air that there are a number of opportunities that you're excited about. And one thing that we reflected on in the last episode was we talked about three companies being Challenger uh, and a REIT, which was uh, 360 Capital. And then we spoke about Eclipse Group. And I know we spoke about potentially broadening the scope of this conversation to include maybe some some technology shares and, and some opportunities in sectors that maybe, I guess, capture more of the the capital light focus that indeed you spend a lot of time on. So maybe before we get to individual names or of companies, maybe you can take us through some of the sectors that you're most excited about. Yeah, sure. Um, I think uh, one thing to I think uh, to keep um, yeah. Uh, first and foremost in in the mind of any investor uh, is to maintain uh, the ability to be agile in this environment. I think that's really important. So uh, in, in our last conversation, we talked about uh, Challenger, uh, Eclipse and uh, 360 Capital REIT. So, um, you know, uh, we have uh, actually... Uh, we entered those positions, but now we have exited those um, positions at, at points where we considered that uh, fair value was achieved. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's that's you know it's very important not to get stuck or you know, overly focused on um, you know, particular particular opportunities um, that you may find in the market, but um, always be looking to find better opportunities um, where you may potentially earn a higher rate of return uh, for your portfolio. So I think, you know, first and foremost, investors should all, um, yeah, have um, uh, agility 
in mind in, in these turbulent times. Um, but some of the things that um, you know, we're sort of seeing or, or you know, really interested in out there, uh, the first uh, recognizing the structural changes caused by the COVID-19 uh, uh, lockdowns. And I think something that uh, we like to refer to is uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm -hmm. uh, which is effectively uh, a pyramid. Uh, so at the base of the pyramid, you have your basic needs. Uh, in the middle, you have uh, psychological needs. And then right at the top pointy end, you have uh, needs of self-fulfillment. Um, so effectively, the way we picture it is that uh, uh, effectively broader society as a whole uh, focuses, has been focusing on the basic needs. And those are the sort of areas that have really outperformed um, in this market. You can think of you know, stocks like Coles and Woolworths uh, that run supermarkets and, and sell other essential goods. They've really uh, been uh, uh, yeah, a positive uh, fact, uh, contribution to their um, shareholders' portfolios, I'd imagine, uh, during this time, and they've, they've actually appreciated um, over this time. Um, so I think food and essential supplies uh, has had its um, importance reinforced in uh, a time where potential scarcity uh, may arise or interruptions of supply. Um, I think a few other um, sort of specific niches are um, services to supplement income uh, mm. uh, from, you know, from um, you know, people that have uh, been laid off uh, given the economic circumstances, but also uh, the importance of uh, connectivity at home. Uh, mm. Now that schools are shut down, uh, people need reliable uh, connectivity you know, to educate their children, but also have a connection with the outside uh, world in a time of physical isolation. And that sort of um, uh, flows through to uh, greater demand for electronic devices, for example. And, um, you know, we've seen, uh, the, I, I've seen that JV Hi-Fi, for example, said that demand has um, significantly increased in their stores with these sort of electronic devices. Uh, I think that um, one factor that is uh, very important in this environment is uh, uh, you know, being focused on the low-cost provider um, in this environment, given that so many people are facing uncertain times uh, in their own financial positions and the greater, um, broader economic environment itself. Yeah, and I, I think the key question um, for a lot of people out there is how to earn money while being under isolation if they don't hold uh, a white collar job but they're subject to lockdowns and um, I think that you know in this instance or this interest rate environment you know investing your capital into a term deposit or a fixed income instrument isn't really an option anymore given that interest rates are so low Mm. So um, we think that um, yeah, really the only practical way is for people with time on their hands to look into uh, educating themselves uh, on on listed stocks, things that are you know that you can earn a return from, but are also liquid enough that you can sell um, if you need the cash uh, 
Uh, mm. okay. That's an interesting point you bring up, Emmanuel. Um, we saw, so one of the things that we do as part of our business, and I'm sure you're well aware of this, is one of the things yeah. that we do is educate people and we do a lot of, you know, obviously um, education around investing and personal finances and what have you. But what we've seen in our Google trends and, and what we've seen from search results and analytics is that it's been a massive, massive uptick in people looking to educate themselves about investing, about ways to make money passively, you know, all of these things that we talk about you know, in any case, but now that's brought to the fore by isolation, people are actually looking, they're, they're sitting in front of their computer and they're, they're typing these things in, like how to buy stocks, I think was one of the most popular search trends in, uh, in March. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a funny thing, but I guess there are companies and, and we're going to identify one or you're going to identify one that is a beneficiary of this, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, um, you, you know, getting down to, I guess, a more granular level, uh, I think a lot of investors uh, who are coming to the markets or perhaps revisiting markets um, that they haven't really paid attention to before, um, it's, uh, I think a big focus or onus for these investors is looking at uh, growth companies mm. um, just because the returns uh, that are potentially uh, available is uh, yeah, much more than investing in uh, you know, a major bank or you know, one of the big resource companies like BHP or, or the like. So I think that um, uh, yeah, uh, I think growth companies themselves um, are probably uh, quite a big focus for these uh, new investors or investors that are coming back into the market now. And um, yeah, I, I thought that um, it, it would be uh, a good opportunity to, to speak about uh, the, uh, a few facts or factors that we look at uh, when, we're, when we sort of evaluate these sort of growth opportunities. Hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. I thought I think um, I remember reading something from you quite a while ago. Now it would have been around the time that you were starting the fund. You talked about companies like Afterpay. You did a big blog post on it, and and you kind of got really stuck into the unit economics of it. Um, you talked about you know where incremental costs go and kind of the upside potential for that. So I think our listeners, not necessarily with Afterpay, but just kind of more broad broad strokes, how you think about valuing these opportunities and the things that you look for, the factors that kind of drive your intrigue into these businesses would be great. Yeah, sure. So um, uh, just uh, having a quick trip down memory lane, <laughs> um, I recall uh, when we first uh, uh, published our, our initial um, sort of uh, hypothesis on Afterpay, uh, we was almost uh, laughed out of, <laughs> out of town. I remember the AFR. Um, you know, uh, Will mentioned as having made heroic comparisons with Amazon, uh, <laughs> which is which you know enjoys similar unit economics. And uh, I remember that in that uh, initial post that I made, um, I suggested that if Afterpay was listed in the US, it would trade between twenty five and fifty dollars a share. And um, look where it is today, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, yeah, at about forty dollars odd or, or the high thirties. So. I think that we've been more than vindicated uh, over mm. time, you know, which is a very short time, only 18 months or so. Um, yeah, so, um, I, uh, so a few points that um, attracted us to Afterpay, but also this next opportunity that we're going to discuss. 
Um, so I guess the first point was that uh, to, to um, always keep in the forefront of your mind um, when evaluating these uh, types of opportunities is that scale begets scale. And when I say that, I mean that uh, the company can achieve uh, a minimum uh, level of scale mm. uh, to cover its fixed uh, costs and then uh, really benefit from uh, having a largely uh, fixed cost base uh, and, and any extra growth can be supported by a very low incremental cost. So, um, or, or reduced incremental cost as it scales. So a lot of companies, uh, they like to sort of portray themselves as growth companies or pitch, pitch themselves as growth companies when in reality, the addressable market may not really support their claim. So I think, um, uh, A, have, uh, making sure the you know, addressable market is as large as what's claimed is, um, but also the, the um, company's uh, ability to scale or build that scale uh, or capture that scale, whatever you want to call it, uh, is really the number one key factor for us mm. um, when looking at these sort of companies. Uh, the second uh, that uh, really is a uh, key influence uh, of this uh, first point that I made is being the lowest cost provider uh, with no strings attached. Um, so we saw this with Afterpay. You know, people were so befuddled and confused that uh, here's a company that uh, is providing uh, an interest-free advance to customers. And uh, a lot of people couldn't understand that uh, business model itself was viable because uh, Afterpay uh, actually monetize, uh, charges the merchant or relies on the merchant uh, to monetize this project uh, product. So... You can see, I guess, how much uh, that increased demand from the consumer side, or user side, I should, I should mm. also call it. And um, yeah, I, I guess, um, you know, with any sort of product that is free or you know, very low cost, there's always going to be a very real opportunity cost to try out a competing product, for example. Um, and, uh, you know, it usually doesn't happen. <laughs> and if you can sort of couple this with um, really good customer service and a good uh, user experience, um, it's almost like uh, it leads to a positive feedback loop mm. amongst users. So, so the lower cost generally leads to a higher rate of usage uh, for the product itself. Yeah, that's a good, really good way to frame it. The, the lower cost... Uh, like is a is a selling point for it initially, and then feeds back in on itself, and then you get you double that with the customer service. Um, we saw that I guess with with Afterpay too, right? That there was as it grew, and and I think your modeling suggested this as it grew, that customer acquisition costs came way down, but also the ARPU or the average revenue per user began to explode. So you get that kind of two pronged positive effect yep. on the on the financials, which at first isn't always obvious. Sometimes you do need to take a little bit of a leap. I wouldn't say it was a, a heroic leap by any means, but if yeah. you can identify that, that trend earlier, those trends earlier, it can be very profitable. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I guess it leads me on to my next point about uh, company seasoning. Uh, by that, I mean, uh, I, I'm sort of referring to the sense that, um, you know, the duration of um, how long the company has been around for. So, um, you know, I, I, and I think, um, you know, it's an analogy that you can think of in the startup world. There are very few uh, overnight successes. There's often, you know, many years of hard work that goes into these uh, uh, products themselves. So, um, and, and, ju and just referring back to um, uh, that positive uh, feedback loop for users, uh, yeah, I, I remember a particular slide that um, Afterpay uh, uh, put out in their presentation around their customer seasoning. So, effectively, they found that the number of uh, times um, a user used Afterpay was very, very strongly correlated with uh, how long the user had been using the platform for. So I think from memory, uh, I think if the customer had used the service for over three years, they had, uh, they were on average using the service about 18 times a year, uh, relative, yeah, against if a customer had, uh, yeah, had been um, using the service for under 12 months, was only about five or six times a year from memory. So it goes to show, um, you know, it, it's basically evidence that supports um, that uh, uh, thesis, I, I guess you could call it. And um, yeah, so I, I think that, you know, company seasoning is uh, one other important factor uh, that we look at, but also it allows, um, you know, even though a company might look good very early on, in its journey, uh, we think there's um, always a risk that you know it sort of hits a hard ceiling in terms of user growth. Um, so we we tend to like opportunities that you know have sort of seasoned for at least two years or can show uh, yeah uh, consistent growth over a two-year period, um, just to reduce the risk uh, uh, of investing in, in the product itself. Uh, because, yeah, as I said, a lot of um, uh, products do hit a natural ceiling after a certain stage or mm. point in time. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, you know, you can probably call it something else. I guess seasoning is a really interesting one. Um, you know, people talk about inflection points. People talk about, um, I guess, a whole range of different things in terms of like the the value that's drawn out of, of different companies. So it's another thing that you know, people look at is um, just the, the revenue retention and how much revenue is growing year over year from existing customers is a really powerful thing. So a company on the ASX and I know pretty well is a company called Pushpay, servicing churches with software. And, you know, it's, it's, it's well into that inflection point or as you might say, it's, you know, it's seasoned itself for quite a few years now. And you can see the incremental revenue coming from existing uh, clients is outstripping new clients, you know, by a, a few factors. So I guess that's kind of what you're looking for is that increased usage leads to increased revenue, you know, and, and increased stickiness, if you like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, in, in terms of uh, uh, um, user adoption, some, uh, some, some people think that, okay, I don't want to shift to a particular service if it hasn't been around for a certain time, because who knows if it's going to be around in 
a few months time you know mm. if it's if it's um not widely adopted um yeah so i i think that that is a really uh important factor that uh not many people think about <laughs> at all to be honest uh, as, as you say um and i guess the last point would be that uh uh, uh positive uh operating cash flow uh after a certain point mm. um because uh, I suppose for, you know in, in these uh, high growth situations, uh, it's always uh, very easy to burn up a lot of cash, um, trying to get to that uh, uh, point of scale where it does become profitable. And um, I, I think that uh, the attraction is uh, in this uh, instance, once it actually, uh, a company reaches that point of, of achieving positive operating cash flow is that generally these cash flows can be reinvested at much higher incremental rates of return. Mm. And, uh, you know, and it just feed, uh, goes back to that positive feedback loop. Uh, but in finance, in, in the financial sense, uh, uh, this, this time. Mm. So, um, but uh, I think that, Though a lot of companies, a lot of companies that we see, uh, tend to burn up a lot of cash trying to achieve that scale. So I think you just, as an investor, you have to have quite a clear idea about where exactly that point of um, positive cash flow and when it will occur, approximately. Mm. And um, yeah, but yeah, I think the the main point I'm trying to make here is that. Uh, it can be seductive to try and get on too early uh, on, onto an opportunity. But I think that um, if you uh, have a clear idea that where you anticipate that point of um, positive operating cash flow will be achieved, uh, then you've probably got a good idea about when to, in, to invest. If, if you really have no idea about when that may be achieved, then uh, it's probably better to sit on your hands for a bit and keep watching. That's what, uh, how we sort of think about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. One of the things that, just coming back to that positive operating cash flow is one of the things when you look at these, particularly SaaS style business software as a service or businesses that bank a lot of revenue into a subscription is that oftentimes there's a deferred revenue account um, because what happens is the, the companies can recognize contracts or the companies can uh, say, you know, we've earned this revenue, but the cash isn't collected for a certain period of time. Or there can be, uh, I guess, a mismatch between what they're saying is like annualized revenue versus actual cash flow. So there can be a significant lag. I, you know, I find this when I model um, these types of technology businesses, you find that there's, when you when you look at revenue and, and EBIT and those types of things, there's, there's particularly, you know, mm-hmm. but, there's a lot of growth and you're banking in some assumptions, but then you notice when you get down to the free cash flow line that there's a bit of a drop off there and you're wondering why it's because oftentimes there's a delay between what the company recognizes and I guess um, what it's reporting. So it recognizes in cash flow and what's reporting mm-hmm. in revenue. That's a really interesting idea. Emmanuel, I, I feel like this, this is a fascinating conversation, but I feel, I feel like we should actually um, wrap this around a company and an idea because there's a lot of people that are probably listening to this thing. You know, I'm pretty excited about this. Is there a company out there that fits the bill right now? Yeah, sure, sure. So um, well, uh, one new opportunity that we've come across is uh, 
a company called Selfo um, that's listed mm. on the ASX. Uh, the ticker is SWS. So Selfwealth, um, uh, basically a uh, a broking platform uh, with a unique uh, product offering that offers flat price online broking and other sort of associated services. Uh, at this point, there are four separate revenue streams. So the main two being uh, the discount broking, uh, which is Australia's cheapest online broking. Uh, you know, as an investor, you only pay $9.50 a trade, irrespective of the trade value with, with no strings attached at all. And um, importantly, investors are able to invest under their own uh, HIN, meaning that the stock is in their name. They hold the stock for mm-hmm. free. And it's without paying monthly account fees or any sort of sub- subscriptions. Uh, so, and the second revenue stream that uh, is important to the company is the interest on client funds. So, SelfWealth uh, basically benefits uh, from um, client funds on the platform by collecting an interest spread uh, on, on the funds held within the platform. Uh, also, importantly, these client funds are held in segregated individual accounts. Uh, purely for the benefit of the client themselves, so mm. uh, and held with a uh, big four bank, so it really reduces um, counterparty risk uh, for clients. So um, you can sort of think about like self wealth as um, uh, effectively the platform that's tying these services together, um, and they've got uh, also uh, another couple of. Uh, much smaller revenue streams, um, subscriptions, um, where platform users can access additional features uh, for $20 a month. Um, that allows, allows them um, access to trade and portfolio data, um, you know, where they can be provided actionable insights. Mm. And um, also they have uh, an ETF, um, so they get fees on, on, on an ETF that's ASX listed. And that at, the, at this point is, uh, you know, these two particular streams are quite minor, so really um, not of importance relative to the broking and client funds uh, mm. revenue streams. There are a few things here that I think are pretty appealing. So I think, firstly, we should acknowledge how small this company is right now. So a $40 million market cap, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's small by most standards. But also, you mentioned in a write-up that you did uh, recently for it, which is really, really good, and it's kind of telling of the opportunity set, is the market share of this business. So, you know, it's cheap in terms of broking. So, I've looked at this for my personal broking quite a few times uh, in the past. It's been around for a couple of years now. But it's cheap. It's flat fees. You know, you can trade a certain amount. So, there's definitely an appeal there for, for investors. But I guess the other thing to note is the market share of the business. So... I'll let you fill in the numbers, but we all know Comsec, right? Because Comsec's the big, it's the elephant in the room in, bro- in terms of broking. Um, mm-hmm. But that said, we're still seeing a lot of growth from this smaller company. So I think that's a really interesting relationship, the size of the business versus the opportunity and kind of the, the share that it might be snatching. Yeah, sure. So um, I, I think that, uh, you know, if we look at the um, uh, the market share uh, split 
in, in um, you know, the current uh, Australian share market. So as you said, Comsec are sort of the, the gorilla in the room. They have uh, about 50 to 55% of the market. And uh, sales wealth, we estimate, have only about 4 to 5% of, mm. of um, the addressable market at the moment. Um, so we think that uh, um, self-wealth can increase their market share significantly. Um, they've actually uh, been, you know, prior to this COVID uh, lockdown, it had actually been growing strongly year on year for uh, a couple of years. Um, uh, for example, between January uh, 2019 and January 2020, uh, uh, most of its key metrics grew by more than 100%. Hmm. And, um, you know, the, the effect of the recent sort of um, lockdown has been like pouring petrol onto a already roaring fire, we think. Uh, for example, in the recent March quarter uh, report that the company put out, um, trade volume grew by over 100%. Uh, active users grew by almost um, 50%. And client cash on hand grew by over 150%. So, you know, and uh, bear in mind that this is just quarter on quarter growth. So mm. um, very, very material and significant, um, uh, we believe. And um, yeah, we actually think that, uh, you know, it's capturing a really uh, significant um, number of um, the customers that are churning or changing between brokers. Uh, so we estimate that they that self wealth themselves are capturing at least uh, you know twenty five percent of the current uh, you know customers that are changing hmm. uh, brokerage firms out there relative to a four or five percent market share. So that's, that's a really uh, interesting one, isn't yeah. it? It, it? If you were talking about a bank, you'd say it's growing well above system. That's um, that's something I didn't know. So. It's really interesting because it, it is capturing, you know, kind of um, it's punching well above its weight in terms of new clients and also um, churning clients. So that's a that's a really interesting one, man. I didn't actually know that. So I guess that's if you can take that as I guess a firm variable or factor that you consider, that's a very I guess very indicative of I guess upside potential, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think you know. Um uh, leading this back to the low, lowest uh, cost provider in the market, um, you know, since um, uh, uh, we have um, been covering the stock, uh, we've actually received quite a bit of good feedback, you know, from you know quite substantial private investors saying that okay, we had no idea that you know this platform allows us to trade, uh, you know. Um, at a fixed uh, price of $9.50 for any trade value. So, and these are people that have, um, you know, obviously they have the capacity to mm. uh, try all sorts of different solutions out there. And, um, you know, if you're trading big clips of stock, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, then um, the cost saving is actually very, very significant. Um, if you look at it over a year, for example. So I think that has been... Uh, a very big factor uh, in its growth as well. And um, I, I think, you know, I think uh, a really huge attraction for us is that um, these are all external growth factors in terms of um, user acquisition and new clients and, uh, you know, the, the broader growth in uh, the broking industry, you know, at this point, at this present time. 
But I think also um, the company has significant internal growth opportunities within its current product lines that, uh, you know, they can be developed at very low incremental cost that, and will actually improve the product a lot. Um, one example I can probably give is uh, international trading, which they are planning on rolling out uh, within the next six months. Hmm. Uh, I think this uh, it's going to be sort of a really big uh, step in terms of organic growth within its own internal client base. And um, also um, a few other, uh, a couple of other things like multiple trading account functionalities and uh, a new mobile app uh, that's currently under development. I think these are uh, yeah, three internal organic growth opportunities, I think uh, will really um, increase the, um, the company's rate of growth, you know, both in terms of users and, and in terms of trade volume itself. Yeah, um, and all in a very um, compact time period as well of about six months or for the next six months. Yeah, I, 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 so I've watched Self-Wealth for a while now. I saw them present in early 2019 or mid-2019 and had a brief chat with the guys at an event. And um, i got to say, I was, I was really impressed by, I guess, the tools and that side of things. But I, I guess I didn't have the conviction around... Uh, financials and, and we'll get to that in a minute we'll get to the because I'm, I'm in my head I'm ticking off all the the four things that you mentioned earlier on but I guess there was two things last night I was sitting up and I was actually in bed and I was and I had my laptop and I was looking at actually opening a brokerage account with them because I'd held off in the past for a few reasons but um, I, I'm I, one of the things that I want obviously is international trading so I think that's kind of like it'd be a lot of investors out there like me that are looking for a better international platform because you know some of the mm-hmm. platforms I don't, I don't I don't know what they're planning to do insofar as security and, and risk and all that. But when you invest internationally in Australia as a retail investor, oftentimes you, you, you get hiccups like it's not, you don't actually own the underlying stock or your name's not on the register. You, you know, you're just holding a derivative over the shares. You get all these weird and wonderful things that you don't really want to be part of. And then I guess the other side of yeah. that is um, where they, I noticed recently is this, this large advisor market. So self-wealth have pushed into that uh, where the advisors can come in and create accounts with users and, and what have you. By the way, I should mention, I'm talking pretty positively about this. I have no, I have no dog in this race. I don't own shares. I don't have a relationship with them at all. It's just an interesting business. And I, I just think there's, there yeah. are quite a few different levers that, um, you know, the company can pull or has already pulled and they're just only now starting to, to gain that scale. So I think that's a really exciting aspect of the business too. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, in terms of uh, 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 financial viability and uh, traction, I think that the company has sort of uh, um, uh, reached that inflection point in, mm-hmm. in terms of financial viability. Um, you know, our own reading of, of the uh, quarterly financial statements was that March was their first profitable month, I'd say. Given, yeah, given the historical accounts or examining and comparing mm. the historical accounts with the last quarter. And um, well, I think one, uh, so I, I'm sort of expecting the company to be uh, cash flow positive going forward, which is um, uh, a really great way to be um, because, oh, uh, yeah, I think what is um, exceptional about the company itself is that 
uh, to our knowledge, all the development is done in-house, so you're not relying on uh, expensive contractors or outsourcing mm. a lot of the, the core IP. So, um, uh, so it's, it, it is like genuinely a fixed cost base, um, but at the same time, you get the benefit of um, having the capability to reduce the incremental costs um, of execution, for example, uh, that really uh, will flow straight through to its bottom line. Uh, so we are um, very excited about this, um, given all the factors uh, at play here. And um, yeah, one thing that I thought is actually quite important to, to mention in terms of user growth, Owen, is that um, you referred to uh, the research note that uh, we, we wrote on self-wealth. Mm. Um, if you recall, there was um, an Alexa site, rank, uh, global website mm. ranking measure, uh, a screenshot that we took of that. Uh, from memory, uh, the site's global ranking uh, at the time of that screenshot, which was a week ago, was about 52,000. And today, one week later, it's at 47,000. So right. to jump, you know, almost <laughs> 5,000, oh, well, to jump 5,000 places in the global web, web rankings, you would probably imagine that they are experiencing quite significant, um, you know, consumer side growth <laughs> or, or demand for, for the product itself. It's and, um, you know, often, often it's these little clues that um, can tip you off to growth opportunities uh, before the company actually uh, disclosed that um, you know, it's all public domain information, um, it just requires a bit of digging. Yeah, it's interesting, Manuel, because I think we think really similarly in this in this respect. I um, when I was reading your report, uh, one of the things that I do is that I when I look for these technology companies, I look for leading indicators, any leading indicator I can get, you know, mosaic theory and all that type of thing. But what I'm looking yeah. for is anything that gives me heads up on financials. So like what I can expect in the next quarter or six months or what have you. And I guess the purest form of that yeah. is to go to where the product is. And, you know, when yeah. I talked about Pushpay earlier on, that's an, an app that churches can download. Well, you go to the app store and you mm -hmm. read about it, right? That's a very simple yeah. way to get your finger on the pulse. You look at downloads. Another thing, you can go even one step yeah. further up the, 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 I guess, the stream and you can look at web search history. So you brought that up about self-wealth. How many people are actually Googling this yeah. versus NabTrade versus Comsex? They're not even people that are registered yet. They probably haven't even downloaded the app. That's, the, that's an even further, you know, it's a better leading indicator if you think about it in terms mm. of interest. But then you've also talked about yeah. Alexa rankings. And this is actually funny because for those that don't know, Alexa, you can go to Alexa, which is an Amazon company, by the way. You can go there and you can type in any URL you want and you can see how popular a website is and how it's trending over time. And so this is something that I use weekly for our all of our websites and all of our products and services to see how are we going relative to our competitors. And I was, to be honest, I was really surprised about how high South Wealth ranked in Australia. I hadn't even considered it as something that necessarily I would should be thinking about in, in terms of our business. So to see that and to see where, how it's trending, of, of course, there's a lot of noise over the last 30 days in so far as COVID and new user acquisition, time spent on site, all of those different metrics. But I was actually taken back by how quickly this is growing. And I think that was a really good insight you drew there where you, you pointed to, hey, maybe this is more of a structural thing. Yeah, maybe we're bringing forward the adoption curve and maybe this is actually a structural thing too. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think that is the beauty of it because um, it's benefiting from uh, multiple angles <laughs> or or parts of the thesis. Um, yeah, there's the structural shift, uh, which is uh, a very important one, but also in terms of just as achieving scale and um, uh, like, for example, uh, uh, various marketing initiatives that, that are currently being undertaken by Southwell. Um, one of the very low cost um, marketing initiatives that we really like is um, uh, enabling uh, referral. Uh, mm. Like if, if, if a current user refers a new user, they get five free trades. So, you know, it really costs the company about twenty or twenty-five dollars uh, from memory, you know, in, in terms of hard uh, direct costs. And for a new user that you may potentially keep for years and years and years, that is um, really dirt cheap customer oh, acquisition. Yeah. And um, you know, we so we've seen um, you know customer acquisition costs just literally drop through the floor. Uh, a couple of years ago, they were running at about. Seven or eight hundred dollars mm-hmm. um, uh, customer yeah, acquisition cost uh, per customer, and um, that's really just yeah, fallen like a stone. And um, that's where the benefit of scale is because uh, you know you're getting uh, strong word of mouth referrals. Um, but you know um, these sort of uh, you know um, referral networks are not possible unless your product is. Uh, doing the job that it's meant to. So one interesting factor uh, that we noticed is that during the recent market volatility, uh, the two major platforms, Comsec and NabTrade, were struggling with the weight of demand, and um, you know, as such, they were down for large parts of um, uh, the trading day, uh, trading days during um, March and April. Mm-hmm. So yeah, whereas. Um, yeah, in contrast, um, the self wealth platform didn't have any issues that we're aware of. So it really goes to show that um, if you can deliver a service reliably and um, service your customer needs uh, adequately, then half the half the puzzle is already solved uh, right there. <laughs> mm. uh, self. Absolutely. Like during those times of market volatilities, when you want your broker to, to be reliable and have uptime, right? So that's really important. Um, Emmanuel, conscious that we've, we've been talking this for a long time, uh, quite a while now, um, I think a really good way to kind of put a bow on this is just to talk about, I guess, just you, just recap on um, where you see opportunities. I know that you recently, you know, you took a stake in Self Wealth um, for the fund. Um, I imagine you're pretty excited by what comes next, not only here, but with other opportunities. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, um, you know, the market uh, in its current state is uh, throwing up a lot of opportunities. Um, I think what's important for investors uh, to remember is uh, stay agile and uh, look at a lot of, uh, (laughs) look at a lot of opportunities. I think, that would be sort of my main uh, suggestion that, um, you know, try and broaden your own horizons and understanding and um, you'll come out of the other side uh, a much better investor. Um, I, I would probably 
suggest that um, uh, also you know, investors uh, still you know, don't don't be too aggressive <laughs> in your investing. Um, and um, yeah, I, I guess that there's a lot of opportunities out there at the moment. You've just got to pay attention to what's happening in front of you and just remember that the situation that we're currently in uh, isn't going to last forever and life will go on. Mm. So, um, yeah. Great advice. Um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll put a, a link in the show notes to, to the piece that you wrote up so people can get a, I guess yeah. if they're looking for any of the facts or figures that we spoke to in some of the charts that you mentioned, um, they can get that in the yep. show notes and, um, and see that, see how you've, you've come to the conclusion you have on South wealth. But uh, Emmanuel, it's always yep. a pleasure. I'm, I'm looking forward to having you back on for round three. I'm, I'm interested to see where we go. We went yeah. from, we're from challenger esque style investment ideas right down to yep. a, a, a small cap or a very small company in South wealth today. So, um, Again, I'll just say, how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, um, people can get in touch with us uh, via our website, which is daatt.com.au. Just the contact form is uh, the best way to get in touch with us for any queries or feedback. Yeah, great. Wonderful. Again, I'll put links in the show notes. But Emmanuel, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for that, Owen. Cheers. 